0: Hey folks and welcome to another episode of This Is Hate CD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm your host. Now before we jump into this episode, I wanna tell you about my 12 week coaching program that I offer through this podcast. Now if you're listening to this episode and like the content that we produce on This Is Hate CD, then I reckon my program might be something you are interested in. I've worked with designers from all over the world, from all different types of levels, from mid-level all the way through to chief design officer level helping them grow both as a practitioner and also as a person. For more information, see the website and schedule a free chemistry call with me. If nothing else, it would be awesome to connect with you. Now, today on the show, we have Damien Kernan from Proto CX in in Sydney. And unbelievably, we did not cross paths when I was living in Sydney. And we speak about this a little bit on the podcast, but I 100% know of Damien's work from when I was living out there. And in this episode we speak about all things service design and we go into the, the role of personas in particular. We discuss you know are they the best use for you know, certain methods and generally discuss their validity. but um, also how that's related to both design and journey management. okay So for anyone who's interested in journey mapping or visualization then this is an episode I know you're gonna love. It's a great opportunity to hear about Damien's experience and perspective on the state of design and more specifically on service design, okay? It's a really great one. Damien is an awesome guy. I just wish I had a, had the opportunity to connect and go for a couple of beers with him when I was living out there. I know you're gonna love it, so let's jump straight in. Damien Kernan, I am absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast. I feel like I know you. We know an awful lot of people but we never connected and never met in person in Australia. But let's start off. Let's tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. Well,
1: first, Jerry, listen, lovely to meet you. And um, I know in the preamble, you gave me lots of Australian accents. So um, if you could throw some of that in, <laughs> that would be, that would be super. I won't feel so conscious about myself. I've maybe even forgotten the question. I think it was about, tell me about yourself. Tell me a bit um, about yourself. Tell me a bit about myself. Um, I'll just start, start with the interesting stuff and from a work perspective. Um, I, went, I I wanted to start in advertising um, and mum and dad said, went said, go get a degree. So I did a marketing degree. And then I got what every Australian boy, marketing boy would love. I got a job at Foster's, Carton United Breweries <laughs> as a beer brand manager. And I was the Foster's nice. brand manager amongst other things. So I did that for a few years where I met my wife. Uh, and uh-huh. she was a tax tax lawyer at the time. And we yeah. met. And then um, a few years later, we ended up... Well, she got a job, actually, in, um, in New York. She's, uh, they uh-huh. needed somebody to get this. They needed somebody to work in the Ernst & Young uh, tax practice, but understand English law. So Australian law is English yeah. law, um, and, but they needed to be based in Barbados initially. So she worked for the Caribbean tax practice. We lived in Barbados for six months, lived on the beach. I lived there for three or four months. She lived there for six. And then we moved to New York in 2000. And so we worked there. And then I, I worked for Diageo, which is the global yeah. drinks company, which is fabulous. So I did that for a few yeah. years. That was great, really had a great time in, in New York, and then moved back. and got my, my dream, my boyhood dream of actually working in an ad agency and work yeah. for Young and Rubicam. And I did that for five years. I ran an ad agency, ran in Telstra Melbourne. and in, uh, in Melbourne, yeah. And um, also yeah. worked in Sydney and and did a whole bunch of things there. And then I had, I wanted to scratch a niche, which I'd picked up in, in New York. I would work with a brand agency, brand strategy agency, wanted to start my own business. So... Beginning of two thousand eight, I left I left Adland and and started a business. Yeah, and, and it went, was a product
0: innovation business. You went pretty senior in Young and Rubicam. You were chief marketing officer by the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, for in Australia, and so yeah, I was chief marketing officer. I was uh, on a bunch of boards and just helping coordinate their largest clients through the business and in, in terms of advertising, digital,
0: PR, outdoor. It was mm-hmm. a whole whole range of things. So it was a really good experience. So what did you take from working in that space? Um, Like when you're exposed to so many brands and they're looking for one thing, usually growth or sales or exposure or awareness or something along those lines, what was the common trend of, I guess, opportunity for you to build on for your new business at that time? There's a couple of
1: things. I think I learned about the level of complexity. <laughs> And mm. silos. Um, at the time, we were working for Telstra. I think it had 500 people in its marketing department. So you wow. can imagine that 500 people in a in Australian base. So for those who are overseas, you know, if we've got 27 million people. America has 320 million. So 500 in a national carrier. Uh, I used to say to the head of marketing, you know, with all respect, you should probably just halve it. You know, and you'd you'd probably be better off because. Everything used to have nine signatures. So I learned the idea of complexity and silos and slowing things down and mm-hmm. how when organizations got too big, they couldn't move very quickly um, and they couldn't adapt
0: yeah. as quickly as they want to.
1: So that was one. And then the other one was, yeah, you want to ask a question?
0: No, I just remember on that point. I remember years and years and years and years ago, I used to be at MySpace in Sydney. Do you remember oh, yeah. MySpace, the social? Yeah, do. Wow. And I remember I had, I was lucky enough to get lunch with the global CEO. Um, you know, you all got twenty minutes with, you know, with this person. His name's Mike Jones. He's a super smart person. He owns Science, this VC company in in Los Angeles now, and his first task was taking the business from twelve hundred employees down to 400 i think it was and i was like so that was your week one what was that like and i was like why did you do it like because he was firing all my mates he's firing all yeah. the people i knew i worked with in la and he was like oh what was happening was we would all go into our little silos on the monday and we'd all work really hard and then on the wednesday someone's job was to get the chairs ready for the presentation on friday they get all the chairs set up from on thursday they do the dry run and then on Friday, they do the presentation. And then on the Monday, they'd have to clean the chairs away. And I'm like, okay, I get the point. You don't have to labour it. He he was like, it, it just became so hard to get alignment with organisations yes. that size. And it just so really difficult. hit home. That was the first time I really I really thought about the bigger is not always the better. Yeah, and it's tough for
1: them. So I'm not having a go with them, but... um. I'm quite negative on personas, so you know, I yeah. put out a lot of posts on why they don't work, and 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 I think I learned about that that there because and to be to credit they had sort of eight segments, so you can't knock segmentation. So I'm not knocking segmentation. Yeah. Segmentation is a good thing, and you know there's old people want something, and a younger person wants something, and a family wants something. I, I get all that, but what was happening in an organisation like that is you then had to create eight sets of communication. You had to have eight yeah. sets of Approvals—you had to have eight sets of content, and, yeah. and 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 you multiply it out, and then it clogs everything up because then you've actually got to start communicating, and and we know it's not—it's a bit easier now with digital channels. You can be more focused and targeted, but mm. if in those days, we we're putting money out on you know. 1,200 tarps a week on, on TV, you can't have all eight segments. And so I realized, and, and I've used that in my business and my clients go, well, we want to do personas, we want to do segmentation. I go, okay, great. If you want to do that, that's awesome. But have you got the resources once we do all this? Have you then got the time, money, resources to actually implement it? And are you going to prepare to actually produce five sets of everything and yeah. and actually push that through? And what do they say uh, to sometimes? that, Damien? Well, they they absolutely, of course, we don't, and and they realise it. It sounds good conceptually, but in reality, um, it falls flat. And I think
0: that let's build yeah. on that because, yeah. like, if, if most businesses and most software businesses in particular will lean into personas and they'll do their the research and they create what is known as you know proper validated based in evidence personas, and they've got maybe four different opportunities for these mystical people um, that, you know, they've even got photos and they've even got names as well, Damien, Mm. and they've got problems that they want to get solved and everything looks good. What do you say to them when you're, when you're presented with this? Well, I think there's, there's two
1: ways to use, use personas. And I think the first one is if in, from a buying journey perspective. So I understand personas from an acquisition perspective in terms of, okay, young person, whatever, whatever, versus an old person. I get that they want different yeah. communication. There's different hooks to get them in. I guess as and at the core, even though we're a, we call ourselves a customer experience company, you know we're actually Australia's first service design firm. So at the heart, yeah. we're service designers. Once you have, you hook them. Okay. Let's just say you hook them and you get them in. What we've found over the last 15 years is most people want the same thing. And so they want it to be quick, easy, seamless, transparent, consistent, you know, valuable, meaningful. Now don't tell me that a 72 year old woman wants anything really different than a 27 year old guy in a beard because They all want it to be meaningful, useful, relevant, easy, consistent. I mean, and so we focus on not so much hooking people, although we could do that, but it's actually, how do you actually add value to their journey once they're on board? And we don't see the use of personas there. So how do you use personas when you're actually trying to make sure that you get back to somebody quickly. Is, it, is a persona mm-hmm. different? Does a, tw- a 72-year-old lady be happy if you call her back in six days versus yeah. a 22-year-old male wants it in 22 minutes? I don't yeah, think so. that's true. Like they, they just want you to fulfill their promises. So you make promises, deliver against them. Don't have to over-deliver, but don't under-deliver. Just deliver against the promise you've actually made. And I think yeah. that's where we focus most of our time and effort.
0: Where do you see the value of personas? They have to have some sort of seed of opportunity for for good.
1: Well, do they?
0: No, it's, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a loaded a, question.
1: Yeah, it's a loaded question. So, We've moved on from personas. If our clients want to do them, we'll probably dissuade them. But if they want to do them, we'll we'll, we'll do we'll do something Make for them. them we, yeah, we've. I don't think we've developed. I don't think we've developed this term customer need states, but we've certainly popularized it here in Australia, and we've actually focused on it. And that's the way we go to market now, and, and the work we do. And Cara, who's my business partner and co-founder, is the one who drives, you know, the insights which come from that. And what we do is we develop typically for need states or customer needs for every project that we do. Mm-hmm. And they're always, always different. And what that does is sets up and puts everybody on the same page as to
0: mm.
1: what are those customers needs? What are they looking for us to help them solve?
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and we also find that organizations throw words around really easily, um, they, fly, they probably throw their values around really easily, but they also throw other words around like transparency or confidence or control or support or education or information. But you go around a room or you run a workshop and you say, okay, what does confidence mean to you? You'll get 10 different definitions and explanations of what confidence means for your customers. So if you're saying, what does confidence mean for your customers? You get 10 different answers. What we do is we standardize that and go, We've spoken to your customers. This is what confidence means for them as it relates to the context of the product that you have in the market that you're in with the problem they're trying to solve in their life. That's what confidence means.
0: It's far more succinct.
1: And it's actually relevant. It's it's coming from the voice of the customer in terms of what Mm. they feel is confidence. And so as part of that, we're also articulating what are their visceral needs? Like, oh, you know, what are they, What is the visceral things coming through to them? I think too, people, too many people turn away from emotion. They all they walk into, and make sure I come back to this, Jerry, but too many um, businesses, they, they're human and then they walk yeah. into a business and whether that's metaphorically now or they walk into an actual building and they switch off their, their humanness and they, mm. and they adopt their business persona. For one of a yeah. better word, and they forget that they're the customer. That you know, that just like they get frustrated when their phone company cuts them off, guess what? Their customer gets frustrated when nobody gets back to them, um, and and they forget about this humanness. So, I think injecting emotion um, mm-hmm. and actually articulating the emotions that. Irrational, mostly seemingly irrational emotions, which are generated when things happen to customers. We hear this from our clients all the time. I just, I don't understand why they feel like that. And it's the, you know, Bob Mester from, you know, Jobs to be Done Theory that talks about this Mm. a lot, but the seemingly irrational, once you actually talk to these customers, they'll explain to you in quite rational detail why they're acting irrationally. And once you sort of, as as he says, once you see it, you can't unsee it and i think that's that's what we try to impart with our with our clients to go we want you to deeply viscerally understand your customers and the emotions they've got because humans are not rational beings i know you expect yeah. them to click in that top right hand corner and log in in 2 seconds unaided every single time guess what they can't yeah. always
0: it's funny what you're talking about a face to face experience there of maybe In store or in branch or whatever it is, and very often, in my experience, the systems that the organization has developed for the backstage to occur so things like um interfaces that support the customer interaction at the point of sale or whatever it is are so strict that they don't have any flexibility to to deliver that kind of customer experience that the customer is looking for. So, it might be a case of Ask and say, listen, look, I've been in here 10 times in the last three months. I've spent $6,000. Is there any chance of a discount? I'm like, oh, no, computer says no. I need to go to management. And I don't. like those kind of systems, they just don't allow the, the human experience to occur as much anymore because head office, you know, kind of design these systems that don't allow those human experiences to occur. In your experience, you know, is, where is that coming from? Is that something that… Um... Yeah, I see that
1: all the time. That's coming from because they don't truly understand their customers. We mm. go into organizations all the time and they go, well, you know, we know who our customers are. We understand our customers. And I think what we've, Kara and I have come to understand is that they're talking demographics and psychographics and all that type of stuff. Mm. What they don't understand is the frustrations and the triggers And those seemingly irrational things that drive them. I mean, just to to bring up the point that you talked about just then, you know, if I've been a customer and I've spent all this money, if you had spoken to your customers and enough of them, not that many, but eight to 10 of them, they would tell you, like, I've I've spent 20 grand with you. Like, where's the freaking love? You know, where is the love? I'm giving you a lot of love and I want a bit of wiggle room. And, you know, we've done this, I can't remember which client it was. But I remember a few years ago, one of our recommendations was like, exactly that. Like, you, this, these high-end clients have spent a lot of money with you, but when something goes wrong or they do something, they miss, they, you know, they're supposed to do something on a particular month and they don't, you slap them. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, can't you just give them a month off and hey, warning? Say, hey guys, you're supposed to actually do whatever you're supposed to do. You didn't do it this month. You've been a good customer. I'll give you a, a free month or two months off and then... And then, you know, two months down the track, it happens again. You have a different conversation. But for us, it's not this deep understanding of, there's this thing where um, for brands and customers, it's not fair. There's not an even thing. We as customers expect more of brands than probably they should do for us. Mm. Is Is it right? I don't know if it's right. But it exists. So you yeah. have to you have to work with that fact that we mm. just have this sense of we should be getting more from you. You should be actually delivering more value for us.
0: But it's also the businesses that are doing it really well and they overdeliver kind of the baseline moves. So they kind of go, I've had a great experience with this business over here. They were able to respond to my problem within, you know, an hour and I got a phone call back. Whereas now I'm standing in line and you're passing me a piece of paper that I need to post, the there's that kind of disconnect yeah. between the experiences. So when some other business does it really well, it kind of pushes the the bar a little bit further.
1: Yeah, I think some. I again, I didn't coin this phrase, but it's the last app used, and it doesn't matter. whether uh, the last app was yeah. a health app, and then I'm doing on a um I'm doing a, a retail app, and then I'm doing a government app or whatever it is the as some as you say as organisations or brands start doing elements better yeah like we just expect it like on my my iMac now I've got this little button which I just put my finger on and unlocks my unlocks my computer now the fact that I actually have to type my password in to unlock my computer seems like anathema to me but yeah my new baselines for gone from here to here to here
0: it's um, always been. And,
1: well, it's always moving, and I think the point you make is about these this inconsistencies across channels. Mm. We we see too many organisations looking for that. Let's delight the customer and we'll pick this mm. channel and give a signature experience. But, you know, we've interviewed hundreds, thousands of customers over the last 15 years, and what we've found is, as humans, we just want it to go like yeah. that. Like It's either go at this level, go at this level, or go at this level. I don't care which one it is, but when I go to Macca's, I know. I am getting this one McDonald's. in Dublin, in Sydney. <laughs> Sorry, McDonald's in Sydney, Dublin, New York. It's going to be, you know, consistently yeah. the same. And I you think, know what you are going to get. Well, you know what you're gonna get, you're gonna you are going to get. And i started using the term about this metronome, metronomic, too fancy word, isn't it? But you know that that thing on a on a, on a on a um, piano, which yeah. just measures metronome. your weight on metronome. And it's just, so, how do we make services metronomic? because products are. Products are actually released from factories. This is the difference between products and services. A product is released from a factory and it has to work because if you return a faulty product, they have to give you another one and put the other one in the bin and it costs them a whole bunch of money. But every single day in the world, faulty services are launched every single day. So what do I mean by that? Mm. Insurance companies sell life insurance. They go, well... People have life insurance. They probably have cars. Why don't we launch car insurance? <laughs> and they've got the actuaries, and they've got the brand, and they've got the distribution channel, and they put something together and they they run it out the door. But they haven't really designed the journey for the customers and the drivers and their needs mm. in a really detailed fashion. And as a result, it doesn't break. It, it breaks, and and yeah. you know, and a lot of the time you have to put up with it, sadly.
0: And then we, they get designers in to retrofit. They kind of say, okay, well, it's not working, it's breaking. And they've kind of launched something without the involvement of design. And then the designers are required to fix it. And then then what? Like, is, is it a case of helping the organization identify that there is a better way to launch these things? There is a better way to determine the need states up front versus launching and then kind of trying to catch the rain after it's been launched and trying to fix something that's constantly moving. Is that kind of where you see the opportunity? It's kind of twofold. One is helping them fix the existing services and two, helping to cultivate a better understanding and how to design these services.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing it more and more, but still probably not enough. Yeah. And that we we go back to this thing, this idea that CEOs or senior leadership go, we know our customers. I mean, and they look at the customer experience team and they go, Guys, surely, we, we know who our customers, surely you can fix this. But it's it's pretty hard right. to read the ingredients from inside the jam jar.
0: And yeah, well, there's also,
1: um, so I think that's difficult for them. And so I think it's one, they expect their internal teams to be able to do it, but they forget mm-hmm. there's internal bias. They haven't got the skills because they've been doing different things for the last 15 years versus maybe black like people like you or I who that's all we do you know, 24-7 yeah. and been doing it for 15, That's 20 years. Said, yeah. And so it brings in different skill set. And they've also got BAU. Um, so I think it's, yeah. it's difficult. I'm seeing more organisations. We're working with Western Sydney International. So there's a new international airport being built in, Australia, in Sydney, Australia, oh, yeah. um, and it will be launched in, in three years' time. And we're working with them right now to actually desu- to do all that design work. So they've invested, um, there's some great people out there that are investing the time and money to go, how do we actually create a world-class airport experience? And we're talking end-to-end from before you even start booking to when you go yeah. out and when you come back and when you get home and looking at that whole end-to-end experience because, let's face it, if you look around the world, there are some pretty second-class and third-class type of airport experience.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, whereabouts in Sydney is the airport going to be?
1: It's in a place called Badgeries Creek. Um, oh. So, they it's could have out been in a, a better name? <laughs> it's about sixty. Uh, it's about sixty kilometres to the west of Sydney, near the the foot of the Blue Mountains. Your and it's going to be a yeah out that way, absolutely. And it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be a phenomenal airport when they're finished. Great. It's really, it's going to be 24, because Sydney Airport is, for those who've been here, is, is right next to the city. It has a curfew and so planes stop at 11 o'clock, it's it's 24-7. So it'll really change the face of, of Western Sydney um, and the whole freight and logistics and all that type of stuff. But there's an organisation who's putting the time and effort into understanding it because they understand that mm. there's um, if they don't do it, it's going to be super expensive on the further down the track. Um,
0: So on that point, there's, if you are to take it from a human centered design perspective, it makes sense to deliver a really great service, um, airport experience, the whole customer experience. But then as we zoom out and we think in terms of earth centered design, is that the right place to be sticking an airport at the foot of the blue mountains, which is one of the most spectacularly beautiful places that's naturally going to disturb, going to the ecosystems of probably lots of indigenous. Yeah. Um, well, yes.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's exactly at the foot, but it's it's been this, this site's been yeah this site's been um, listen. There's not a lot of land, and, and as a, as a Sydney and a country, we're growing our population, and there is no doubt that we 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 need it. Um, I think it was identified probably 40 years ago. So this has been 40 oh, really, years it's in the been wild. It's been a long, long time since this has been identified. And you actually need that space because it's a whole ecosystem, a commercial ecosystem mm-hmm. that's going to going build. So it will actually redefine outer Western Sydney and it will be a, a really outstanding. It's brilliant thing. for
0: Parramatta and all those places where get, getting into the city is just like an extra 90 minutes in on, on terms of your flight times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to pick up on something you said, you know designing a great airport experience. And sometimes people look at that and they go, you know, delight. We're not about delight. And I don't think Western Sydney are about delight, although I probably shouldn't speak for them. But they're very clear about we we are going to make a set of promises yeah. to future customers. And our goal is to be able to, to deliver them. Yeah. And, and, you know, we say brand is the promise you make, customer experience is the promise you keep. We believe there are too few organizations, We we believe there are a lot of organizations making lots of brand promises, and there's lots of marketing teams whose jobs are to make brand promises. And then you look around, and you go, "Well, how many people are actually responsible for delivering against these promises?" Yeah, and that's where we see the real opportunity for organizations. Don't overconfigure. Don't go to delight. Not, not everybody has to have chilled water when they walk in the door. You just have whatever promises you're making. Make sure that you're investing the time, energy, and resources to keep them. To, to, to keep them. That's it. Nothing more.
0: Nothing less. Just do that. <clears throat> so who, who who is empowered with keeping them then in your experience? So that's that's, that's the, the, that's the challenge. Most people would be like, we have been nodding their heads. Oh, of course, yeah, we want sure, to keep them. Sure. But that's, who
1: that's the challenge. Us, yeah, that's the challenge because most organizations are structured in functions or by departments. And as you and I know, yeah. the journey that a customer goes on crosses across all those departments on a daily basis. Yeah. And there are very few organizations who have set up their business to go, we're not selling um, car insurance, we're, but we have an owner, and I think Suncorp in Australia have done this, although I'm not too close to them. It's an insurance company mm-hmm. for those who don't know it. They've head up, set up ahead of the mobility journey or something like that. So mobility, car. So we're thinking about all the jobs around mobility, car being one of them, and car insurance being a further subset of that. Again, I'm not close to it, but it's an example of when you do that, then you can look at the whole end-to-end journey and start understanding how you can orchestrate and stitch all the touch points together versus... I saw this thing, I don't know who it was, some great design, American design firm did a presentation 10, 15 years ago when I went, out went to Europe and saw it. And they had a website up and and what they did is they then had an arrow pointing to all the different components. So this is controlled by marketing, this part's controlled by legal, this part's controlled by sales, this part's controlled by… People in HR. This part's controlled by operations. This part's controlled by. You get the idea. And yeah, so, yeah, just yeah. look at any website and go. It has eight people in control, and that's just the website. We haven't eventually got to delivering the product. Absolutely. Yet. And so that yeah, is what we, and that's what we see as the challenge. I mean, I think the chief customer officer's role is to start. It's not to be responsible for having to do all of it, but to be able to orchestrate it. And, and, and look through the lens of the customer and stitch all and connect all the departments up so you're sharing information and aligning, getting alignment, um, I th- mm. that is a missing skill which I think needs um, amplifying.
0: So you've got Chief Marketing Officer, Chief Operating Officer. You've probably got maybe in some progressive companies, Chief Design Officer. Who Chief customer would you Officer? see? Which one? Chief customer officer as well. Chief customer customer officer. officer. Do you think that role and that, I guess, accountability to ensure that that's getting looked at and evaluated, is that the chief customer officer?
1: I think in some instances it is. Sometimes it's the head of operations. Um, Mm -hmm. So the chief operating officer, because they're trying to configure all together. We don't see too many chief marketing officers taking on this responsibility. It's not a criticism, um, yeah. but their skill set has normally been about in the making promises business. <laughs> sure. um, and they're very, very good at that. Um, and, and also in terms of marketing, people often say, Oh, marketing should do it. Whenever we see like a customer journey map from a marketing with a marketing lens, it's about how all the opportunities to actually communicate or sell or cross sell yeah. stuff to Customers or consumers, it's not take that's an inside out perspective, and just how to how can we sell more stuff or communicate Mm. more stuff versus what's the journey that the customer's going on, and what are all the things that we need to do internally to actually deliver on that? Mm. And that could be, you know, call center, could be legal, could be billing. And I'm not sure that the marketing. A lot of the marketing. I'm not saying all, but I'm not saying a sure. A lot of the chief marketing officers have that capability to actually understand or have yeah. an experience in that area. So I think COOs, so chief operating officers, yes. Chief customer officers, yes. Sometimes we even see the CEO because they're the ones who are worried about the all, ecosystem, all the whole ecosystem. Yeah,
0: yeah. Chief revenue officer is probably one that if they were in the organization, you have somebody who's accountable for the the growth and there is an investment opportunity then from the CRO to say, "Um, well, it makes good business, good business to actually, you know, invest in this because we know that customer experience, there's, there's enough reports out there at this stage. If you invest, there's an ROI in it. So the CRO might be the person that be accountable for this. Is that, What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I think it definitely much more in acquisitions. So I think you're right. So conceptually, yeah. yes, I think chief revenue officer should do it. I see when a lot of the communication I see from CROs um, and agencies who support CROs, it's far more in the acquisition space. Like, yeah. how do we actually get them in? It's less about the customer success component of that, which would actually yeah. keep them in. Um, so I'm not against it. I mean, I, I'm for anybody who's willing um, to step to, up. To step up, and, and interestingly. I would say two thirds to 75% of our clients over the last three or four years have been female. And so, and we've started, Karen and I have started thinking about that and and where we've got to Hmm. is, and this will be controversial for some of the males, but really led by really, we've got some really chief smart chief customer officers as, as clients, female clients, but you know what? They're humble enough to go, I don't know the answer but I'm smart enough yeah. to ask the right questions. And sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, too often, males and I'm a, you know, white <laughs> privileged white male and it's it's typical it's guys like me who think they have all the answers and that's a sign of weakness not to have all the answers. Like how How do How do I not know how to stitch all this together and make it yeah. all work? Surely I've been in business, I've been successful, I'm earning a lot of money, I've got a thousand people under my control, surely I can get this done. And we're seeing females just willing to say, I don't know how to do it myself, but I know how to yeah. ask the right questions, get the right people in and orchestrate it so it does happen. And that I think is... is There's an opportunity there. It's an opportunity, yeah.
0: There was, I just want to, when you were talking there about great customer experiences and, and opportunities for people on the front line to make those judgment calls to enhance that experience, I'm going to tell you a story here. It's a little bit of a, a winding road, but stick with me on it. So okay. we we're ten, 10 years married last week, okay, and Congrats. you know I've started taking up, anyone who follows me on Instagram, sourdough bread. I've started baking sourdough and it's a daily ritual, so you have to plan ahead for the day. And I love the process, okay? And it takes me about 20 minutes. But we have a person that comes into the house and helps tidy the house and clean the house because we've got two young kids. And I've got this thing that I bought when we got married with some of the money, a La Creuset um, Dutch oven, okay? Mm-hmm. And it cost me $450 yep. for this pot, right? And I love it. Okay, and it's so expensive. I couldn't believe I was spending it, but it was like was it was wedding money. They yeah. said to me, "Look, you'll have it for you know your generations." It. They sold they sold it into me. Okay, and I was like, "Okay, I'll do it." And it is amazing. Really, is yeah. it is amazing. But the person that came in and cleaned the house um, was trying to save space in the kitchen and put a salad washer plastic thing inside the Dutch oven because they're so hot or so heavy, I put it into the oven and heated the oven to 240 degrees for my sourdough. And after a day of moulding my dough, I opened up the oven door and took out the Dutch oven about to put my dough in and I saw melted plastic all over this $450 Le Creuset pot. I shouted a few profanities uh, looking up towards the sky and threw ice in it and tried to save it, but it took some of the enamel away. And I was like, oh man, my wife is going to kill me. So this is not going to be the 10 year anniversary that I was hoping for. So I did what anyone else would do. I was like, okay, I Googled around, you know, looking for people to repair this. I was like, is there, no, there's no one. I said, nothing for it. I'm going to call the cruise." Day. So I called the cruise and um, <clears throat> got through to somebody and they go, hey, how can I help you? And I go, well, told them the story. And there was a silence at the end of the phone. And they go, that must have been awful. I'm so, hard, so sorry to hear that. And I said, do you know anyone who can repair this? She's like, hang on one second. And she puts the phone against her chest. And I could hear her talking to somebody. She was like, Jerry, where do you live? And I go, I live in Ireland. And um, she's like, right. Can you send me a photograph of what's happened? And I go, yeah. Did it on the phone. And she goes, give me a minute. And she comes back to us, we'll replace that for you. And I'm like, you, sorry? I said, you'll replace it. So, why? It was my fault. I said, like, they're so expensive. I was trying to tell her, like, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. no, <laughs> uh, okay. are
0: you sure? Are you sure? And yeah, sure enough, I got DHL'd, a uh, brand new Le Creuset pot sent to me three days later, $450 worth for no questions and- asked.
1: What an amazing um, story! Telling empathy, everyone about it. Yeah, and you'll tell another hundred people, so you will pay them back. You know, a hundredfold. The empathy. Mm. What struck me. I mean, it's phenomenal that they did that. Um,
0: yeah. The phenomenal. empathy.
1: For her to say that must have been because that's what that must have been awful. Like, let's just I'm stay there shock. for a while. That must have been awful. Yeah. And that that, and you talk about, you know, staff and. You know, we develop customer experience principles mm-hmm. for for clients because they don't need a fifty page book telling them what to do. They need to know yeah. and it's different by a client, but they need to know. I just say a customer experience principle is um, is support or care. Care mm-hmm. in this instance, which they all
0: talk about.
1: Yeah, they, they all talk about, but you just need to know what care means, and then you go. When I am hearing the story, what's the principle? that i need to bring up it's like care i need to look up that you know and then empathy follows that quickly i think that's a phenomenal story um and we when we see too few we see too few types of examples it's short-termism um Mm. we see short-termism too often
0: but in that sense there you've got somebody who is experienced on the phone okay and too often, you get somebody who's inexperienced and cheap on the phone, and it's a standing operating procedure on how they handle certain situations. They're almost following a script, and it's legally binding, and it's, you know, they're not getting themselves into any trouble, and the calls are being recorded. Um, in this instance, they were able to make a judgment call, and um, that flexibility that I alluded to at the start of the conversation almost gets designed out, and that's what we lose yes. through technology.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I heard a, a story years ago, Swisscom, national, mm. the national carrier, they used to have a €50 euro, um, budget for their customer support staff to be able to flex, just like oh, you really? like. And then they increased it, did some human-centered design work, and they increased it to €500. Euro. Uh-huh. And the concern was, wow, we're giving all these – you know, hundreds of people, the opportunity to actually give away 500 euros a pop, we're going to lose money. What happened? Credits went down. The Mm. amount of credits they were handing out went down, even though they had 10x the amount that they could give away. So that seems seemingly irrational. Why is that? Yeah. Because they felt a greater sense of responsibility and onus on them to look after the money they've been entrusted with. Uh-huh. and therefore they were more judicious about how they did it but if they needed to they could hand it out yeah um and so yeah i was in, in the airport in, in melbourne and in, in uh, catching a flight the other day well, i was actually on a flight Qantas offloaded me and then i said i'm looking on the board and i'm on the phone to them and I'm saying Well, oh, i can see a flight like there's one leaving in like 10 minutes and i'm at the airport and and i'm walking to gate eight which is where this flight was, mm-hmm. even though they'd chucked me off. And they and to your point, you know, the, the procedures or the standard operating procedure, she said, came back on and then started giving me all this waffle. And I went, listen, I'm walking, I'm, I'm running, I'm Damien Kerner, I'm, I'm running to gate eight. Am I on or not? Yeah, that's what I need to know. We can cover the rest of the time. Am I on or not? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, sir, that in this, it's like, I, I wasn't, um, yeah, but I'm this man. like not really understanding that you know, you've chucked me off. I've said, there's a flight. I'm heading to the gate. I'll just start reading my script rather than what's the job oh. I want done. I want to know, am I on or not? Cause if not, I'll go back to the Qantas club and have a cup of coffee, you know, it, it's, look out the window and look out the window. Um, yeah, you're right. A lot it's, of it, a lot of it's been designed out for efficiencies, which is ends up being, Sub efficiencies, really.
0: and I think that's what we're. A lot of people listen to this podcast, and they just want to try and ensure a human experience. That we're using technology really to take away the pain and amplify the human experience. That's really what I hope for in in the future of design. That we're not being swallowed by technology and we're being replaced, and we can barely get hold of humans on the phone to have that empathy. Because you imagine if Hulu Cruise. Looked at that situation, say, why do you want to call us? Please go to our website and fill out an application form. That is the most logical explanation there. If you if you had somebody that's looking at it. That's cost efficiency, Jerry. Yeah. Right there. But like the fact is, I have easily told this story to 20 people in the last week. And it's not all about like I'm gonna tell everyone. That's not what it's about. It's really about that I am now a customer for life. And I am going to, when I go to buy something um, in the future, like when I um, win the lottery and buy another Dutch oven pot, mm-hmm. I will buy. A blue, you got an way. orange
1: one, you'll get a blue one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: matching, like I will.
1: Matching pots.
0: <laughs> but it, I think that is, if you look at what, you know, the, the rationale is for this stuff and they say, well, why would we do that? You know, I'm a customer for life. Yeah. Okay. Great. Are there other things that you can point at and say? Well, you know, they'll make more money. They'll. What are the other things that we? Yeah, think, they'd, they'd I, I, I think. Make point yeah, at? I think it's a balance,
1: and I think sometimes everyone's a bit too black and white, and they're all they're all or nothing. Yeah. So they go, Let's go with technology, and we're big fans of technology. And and if you can employ technology, which allows you to actually get your job done quicker yeah. and more efficiently and easily. More power to you. Love it. You know, uh, it's great. But things break and things go wrong and technology doesn't always work. And I think this is the missing piece for organization. Knock yourself out with technology, spend up, make it really, but or and. Accept that things are going to go wrong sometimes. Sometimes you're going to need human intervention. Sometimes you're going to need a friendly voice and you need to have that technology and that at the same time that you can actually shepherd people through, get them back on the technology track. You might, it's just like a, a, a siding yard, a rail siding. It's like you were going along here. That's great. Things have gone wrong because we've got a bit of derailment. <laughs> Let's go after the siding track with a human, bit of care, bit of empathy, bit of support and love, redirect you back on and off you go. And and that would cost them very little, but it's this yeah. all or nothing thing where it's like it's all technology or it's all people that's too expensive. And I think it, yeah. it, it can be both. It can be absolutely. You
0: can lose on yourself by just leaning into technology so much. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love love technology. I mean, I did a, a CX and AI you know webinar this morning for, yes. for about forty people, and and it's and it's you know, it was pretty simple stuff. Um, and and it was for beginners, and so we were, I was introducing people to ChatGPT four as opposed to ChatGPT three. So that was where we we're at, but it yeah. was blowing even with some of the prompts, pretty simple prompts, but that was pretty blowing cool. people's minds who hadn't and hadn't used it, and it, it is mind blowing when you actually could see what, yeah.
0: what's the, the next frontier things. yeah, yeah. Well, look dame we, we are wrapping up the, the the end of the this episode so um people i know will be really interested to learn more uh about proto cx and what you're doing and the the needs what's it called again needs what customer cu- customer need states customer need the need states um i'd love to learn more about that myself is there opportunities for people to, to read more about need states or what's the best way for people to, to learn more about that?
1: So I'm posting daily videos on
0: LinkedIn. So daily posting videos, I see it every day on LinkedIn. <laughs> I feel like I know you, that blue background. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Um, no, I'm loving, I'm loving doing it. So
1: I'm posting a, a daily on LinkedIn. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel, Proto partners, or yeah. just, um, yeah, DM me on, on LinkedIn or just, um, or go to protopartners.com.au and there's lots of contact stuff there. So yeah, I'd love to talk to anybody and yeah. explain it. Maybe we can come back another time. We can get we can double click on it.
0: You're you're always welcome back on the podcast. And look, I wrap every episode up, Damien, by thanking the guests for their honesty and their vulnerability. Because I know it takes a little bit of courage to come on and just be having a free-flowing conversation and uh, answering, you know, from the gut a lot of the times. Um, so I really appreciate you giving me your time this evening. I know you're probably getting ready to to head home and have dinner and so forth. So thank you so much for giving me your time today, Damien. I really, really appreciated it.
1: Thank you, Jay. I really enjoyed the chat. And um, any uh, Damien Curranahan. So any, any Irishman I'm having to talk to or have a beer with. So yeah. thanks for your time.